Hop in your Bronco, hold on to your pancakes, and take a drive with us as we return to Haven. This is Troubled, your favorite rewatch podcast dedicated to the sci-fi channel show Haven, based on the Stephen King novella, The Colorado Kid. I'm the first host in our father-son podcasting duo, Alex French. And I'm Rich French, the French that watched Happy Gilmore in a theater while Alex slept in my lap. It's cold in there. Uh, all right. So we are back with episode 12. This one is called Resurfacing. We're nearly there to the finale. I hope everyone had good holidays over this break in December. Uh, we took a week off. It had nothing to do with technical issues, we swear. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we're back. So like every episode, we like to start with a summary and kind of get you up to date on the episodes. Because um, just a little update anyone who isn't aware haven will be getting pulled from netflix january 15th so for those of you that don't own the show like on dvd or blu-ray or digitally uh that could be uh troublesome one could say so i just want to give you that update i think we've been talking about this i think it's going to get added to peacock later but there's no confirmation i haven't heard anything that's just uh an instinct since they have warehouse 13 and i know we know NBC Universal had a, a hand in distribution and handling of uh, Haven. I'm sure it'll end up somewhere. As soon as we find out where it's ending up, we'll let the trusted listeners know. But until then, don't worry. We'll be summarizing every episode uh, like we always do. So if you're if they're unavailable, yeah, you can count on our completely unreliable summaries. No, I'm just kidding. Here we go. All right, this is episode 12, Resurfacing. So the episode begins with this uh, kind of older gent on the beach, right? And he's uh, looking around, finds a derelict ship. Right. Uh, a ship has uh, washed ashore that uh, was damaged. He definitely recognizes the ship and he goes in, he finds, uh, and the guy we later find out is named Hank Olson. And he goes in to investigate and he finds a tooth, then a cross, and he knows who it belongs to. And then lastly, a skeleton. Yeah. Yeah. It screams. Uh, uh, Audrey and Nathan come to investigate, right? And Audrey's making tons of pirate jokes uh, all over the place. Yeah. And, and and Nathan gives her some background that, uh, you know, five people went down with the ship, including the boat owners, James Garrick and Andy Weaver. And uh, many blame James because he used to be a drinker in the past. And both wives of the owners blame each other's husband for the sinking. Right. So back at the house for uh, Mrs. Garrick, right? She... Uh, is uh, the wife of the one who was like, what, he's an alcoholic or something? Or was like, people, a lot of people blame Formerly him. an alcoholic. Yeah, formerly. Right, because Tracy is telling their daughter, Brooke, that she has to watch her younger brother, Michael, which she doesn't like. And all of a sudden, Tracy's keys go flying, like under like a table or an ottoman or something. So what force made that happen? She, But she does find them. But before we go to HPD, the not accused dead guy's wife, <laughs> Vera, shows up and gets in an argument with Tracy, which is the guy who everyone thinks did its, uh, you know, widow. Uh, she shows up again, a big argument, and uh, she gets, uh, you know, she's blaming them and they're yelling at each other, and uh, she gets tossed across the room, right into a, into a door. Yeah, uh, tossed right into a door, hits her head on the door, you know, projected by some uh, invisible force. Right, and then uh, back at HPD. Uh, uh, Audrey and Nathan are talking to Hank, right? Right. And, uh, you know, they start asking him about uh, some corrosion on the parts. And uh, Hank, you know, uh, says, uh, you know, there's nothing to that. But if you, you look into this, you won't like what you find. So it just kind of he's no help whatsoever. 
Right. Um, and then they're talking to, you know, they kind of come talk to the family. Uh, there's a lot of frustration there. Um, you know, and Nathan wants to look more into the parts stuff and he's upset because that guy was his little league coach, which him and Duke were on the team. So he's going to go talk to Duke about the parts. Cause you know, we're selling ship parts that might not be above board. You know, who else are we going to talk to except Duke? Right, because the conflict with the kids is the daughter blames her own dad, uh, James, and then the son blames the other guy and thinks his dad isn't at fault. And that's what creates a lot of the tension between the two. Right. So Audrey's going to hang out with the kids. Meanwhile, uh, Duke and Nathan are going to go do their thing. We're going to kind of stick with Duke and Nathan for the majority, even though it's split between the two, just to kind of simplify. So we're not jumping back and forth until Duke and Nathan's and then we'll jump back until Audrey's and you'll see where they connect. Right, because it, it, it could be kind of hard to follow with us discussing it, especially if you hadn't watched it. All right, so then Duke goes to see – I'm sorry, Nathan goes to see Duke. Nathan goes to see Duke, and he walks in on – like, or he drives up to him in the middle of a meeting that Duke is having with a, a very rascally-looking guy. <laughs> a, a rascal sunset type of guy? Exactly, his type of guy. Yeah. So that, that uh, rascally-looking guy is a guy named Carl, and uh, – Duke is trying to get him to set up a meeting with uh, Stoney, who apparently Duke has wronged in Stoney's mind. And Carl is very, very reluctant to do so. But eventually, you know, and then when I'll give uh, Duke credit, Duke plays it off pretty cool. When Nathan shows up, he's like, hey, I told you to be here 30 minutes ago. And, you know, like it was a plan for him to be part of it, which was pretty cool. I, I like that. Yeah. And then. He basically gets Carl to relent and set up the meeting with Stoney. Oh, he bribes him, right? He pulls out a bunch of hundreds. And, oh, yeah. Uh, no, it wasn't for free. This is Duke's world. Nothing's for free. Right. But we'll come back to those hundreds, uh, those Benjamins as he uses. So then, you know, Nathan's kind of like, hey, we need to talk about this guy and the boat ship parts. What do you know? And Duke's like, well, you know, maybe I know like something, but I need your help first because uh, I'm going to die. Basically, I'm going to get killed if we don't take care of my problem before your problem. So uh nathan's pretty resistant right but he uh eventually relents and, and helps duke yeah because uh, duke gives him the spiel you know he says hey i delivered a box then uh stoney the client said oh it's empty so he believes stoney set him up and then paid him with counterfeit cash you know the box you know carrying over from the trial of audrey parker those boxes are quite important so now they're kind of talking and uh you know, they're talking at the Greg goal about what they're going to do and shit. And it kind of gets into their personal history where uh, Nathan recants why he has such frustrations with Duke, like the thumbtacks, right? Right. So it was back in 1983, a.k.a. the last period of troubles, at least, uh, you know, during the last period when they were eight year old, eight years old. And Duke and his friends told Nathan that this girl, Carla Rose, liked him and to go talk to her. But while they were doing that, they were patting him on the back with tacks. So they were <laughs> putting these pin tacks into his back. He goes to see the girl tries to talk to her she screams because blood's running all down his back and they did set a record i guess with 16 tacks was the winner yeah and then he was scared to talk to girls for a while because of that yeah um, another two years apparently <laughs> didn't stop him in high school or college he was getting with girls all around town eventually oh, naked meteor showers what's not the love <laughs> <laughs> um Okay, so then they kind of get over it, or not get over it, but they kind of, you know, they're working through the, the all the stuff, and then eventually Duke kind of tells them to plan, like, all right, you're going to be, like, the agent, you're going to be my guy, 
Uh, we need to tussle you up though and make you look more like uh, more rapscallion. Is, is that a a new uh, Wu Tang name for uh, Nathan? Yeah, rap under rapscallion undercover. And so the kind of plan is that Nathan's gonna meet with Stony uh, as is he like an associate of, or like a in between or something? Yeah, intermediary of dude. Yeah, yeah you know, kind of bro- broker a deal between the two of them. Right. Even so, muff even muffs up Nathan's hair to try to make him, like you said, look a little more uh, rascally. <laughs> yeah. So uh, Stony shows up, and Stony's not what we expect. Uh, she's uh, uh, an attractive woman instead of like a kind of old fat guy like you'd expect. But she's got some big, big bodyguards with her that are ready to fuck up somebody. Oh yeah, they're jacked up. They look like uh, you know, there's a ster- there's not a steroid they haven't tried. And so what Nathan tries to pass off money to her, right? Uh, he tries to, to he tries to cut a deal or pretends to cut a deal with her. Right, exactly. He said, you know, there's nothing more that I'd like to let's, you know, because she offers him let's uh, let's kill Duke and then split the money, and uh, which he he agrees to. And then when she gets a hold of the money, she realizes that it's uh, counterfeit and tries to, you know, go after him. And in comes Duke running in, pretending to be a cop at first, just to get the surprise on the guys, on the bodyguards. They put their hands up. Duke performs a citizen's arrest before uh, Nathan kind of takes back his gun and badge. Uh, yeah, he's they- a <laughs> special agent for uh, Haven PD, Yeah, which uh, Nathan kindly tells him doesn't exist. Exactly. And so uh, with that all completed, now uh, Nathan can uh, get the information from Duke that he needs. But we'll get to that critical info in a minute. Back to Audrey to kind of continue the investigation. She goes to talk to Tracy at the Grey Goal before all of these events. Tracy talks about how disrespected they are in the town, how everyone's kind of looking at them sideways and nobody trusts them after, you know, after the ship went down and everyone thinking it was her husband. She wants to kind of get out of there and move the kids away and stuff. But Audrey's kind of like, hey, this might be a trouble and something might be going on here. Yeah, Tracy's not having any of that. She just you know, briskly walks away. She doesn't want to even uh, think about the troubles as being part of this. Yeah. Meanwhile, the daughter's at home with her boyfriend, uh, little brother being ignored and all, even though he knows there's not supposed to be a boy there. Uh, and what happens there? Her boyfriend, Jake, and uh, normally you can always trust a guy named Jake, but this Jake gets a little too handsy. And uh, all of a sudden, Jake is shot across the kitchen and he hits his head. Like <laughs> So once right. again, this invisible force is in play. And who is it? Is it Michael the son or is it Brooke the daughter? Well, I we think we're know. led on to believe it's the daughter at the moment. Like we think right. the daughter's behind it because uh, she was angry when the keys flew, the woman flew, and now the boyfriend. She goes running off into the forest. Audrey arrives, comes and talks to her, talks her down. And we kind of figure out the daughter's like, yeah, I wish I had the power because uh, I would do something with it, but it's not me. And then we kind of see a scene where we, uh, you know, kind of suspect the son as things fly around his dad's room and shit. So we're yeah. kind of like, oh, I think the son is like uh, kind of carry now. Yeah. Brooke states she's not troubled, that she's not like one of those freaks, those troubled people. Uh, the mom, since she's selling the house, she's got a couple coming in to take a look at the house. And uh, they're kind of brusque. They're kind of going through the house. They're a little, they're a little rude, I would say. And then especially when they want to go into the dad's study and the son's like, you know, no, you can't go in there. And the mom's like, well, hey, he's having a hard time since the dad died. And they're like, all right, you know what? We don't want to buy the house. Peace out. They fucking leave like uh, with major attitude problems. So we're back at the Garrick house and Audrey is in James' office and she's trying to help Michael, you know, understand this, you know, affliction he has. And then... Uh, 
she asks Michael to go get Tracy because something, you know, she gets an idea and then she figures out that James is in the in the room and then she kind of reaches around, tries to find him and she eventually does find him and is able to grab him and stabilize him. Right, because the telekinetic, it's not somebody with telekinesis as we figure out. Uh, it's not any of the kids. It's no one is throwing people around the room. It's another person is in the room, but just on it, we were unable to see them. Right. Right. And uh, at this point, Audrey is talking with James in the office and uh, James flat out calls her Lucy. And then they, he explains his trouble about, you know, how he's moving so fast that he can't be seen. Right. Um, so she's kind of got the, now she kind of figures out the truth about him. And so she goes to tell the. Uh, the mom and the kids like, hey, hey we got to like we I got to show you something. And Nathan's calling being like, hey, I figured out what was going on uh, with the parts. Right. Right. Duke had told him that uh, it turns out there's this uh, metalworks that is, you know, cuts costs on parts by not not building them properly. And that old Hank Olson was uh, the working with this couple, the Fortunas, uh, Sal and Nancy, selling these uh, corrosive and uh, defective parts. Right. So then twist moment, a couple that was <laughs> checking out the house, they have now come back in the house and they are holding everybody at gunpoint because they are the Fortunas. Exactly. So that and was uh, so pretty now, interesting. So now... Uh, you know, they want to kill and they're like, yeah, you know what? We're going to kill him, burn the house down and everything to get rid of all the evidence or else we're busted. <laughs> the kid uh, starts having like a seizure, a speed seizure, because we're, we're figuring out he does have the same trouble as his dad, uh, you know, and then in, in the distraction of them trying to, you know, deal with the, the son, uh, the dad, James, speeds in and knocks the fucking couple into the walls, knocks him out. Yeah, and uh, causes uh, quite a few uh, like uh, broken bones and injuries for them as he fires them across the wall in, into like a bookshelf that they shatter. Right, and so he uh, they kind of stabilize him one more time, and he has his final kind of goodbyes to his family. Tells them, you know, if you ever hear this bell ringing in the office, that's me knocking it around. Uh, but this is probably the last time I'll be able to hold still. Right. Yeah. He's used, it took everything he had to come back that last time to stop the Fortunas. Uh, he does give Audrey some key information about how Lucy helped him so much. But, um, you know, while he was uh, having one of his fits, uh, he shattered glass and it cut her on the bottom of her foot, on the sole of her foot. Right. And then he kind of fades away. We, you know, sad moment. Everybody's sad. Uh, meanwhile, though, Nathan and Duke are having a, you know, back at the gray goal, they're kind of having a nice drink with each other. Uh, they're a little closer than they were before. One step, the divide isn't closed, but it's, it's a little closer. Uh, Audrey decides not to interrupt. And so she kind of takes a walk out on the beach and she sits down and takes her shoe off her sock off to take a look, you know, me, you know, if, if this guy thought she was Lucy or she's being mis, uh, mistaken for Lucy so much, why not take a look? And lo and behold, she has a scar on the bottom of her foot, just like Lucy would have 30 years ago, 23 years right. ago, whatever. And what makes it uh, really poignant is she's sitting at the site of the Colorado kid murder when at, on the beach when she looks at her foot. So yes. kind of brings everything full circle. Tied in. All right. So that is episode 12 resurfacing. Now you know who was resurfacing, not just a boat, but a person. What did you, uh, ratings, let's talk ratings. What did you, what did you give it? Okay. Uh, there are some flaws with this episode, but I still liked it a lot because of the, the Nathan and Duke caper. I enjoy a good caper. 
I also really liked what we, you know, th- that we got the big reveal at the end that uh, Audrey is is Lucy. I mean, that's a game changer. And on the French meter, I gave it a, I gave it a, I gave it a seven point five. But uh, you know, we want to eschew uh, decimal points, so I'll probably, I, I think I'll bump it up to an eight. Yeah, I mean, you can have decimal points if you want. <laughs> hey, hey, you know, since we're both Frenches and it's the French meter, I feel like we had to have some consensus on this, you know, to make Fair it enough. an official French meter. So I will bump it up bump it up to the eight because like I said, I love the caper. There's some good banter, even if I, you know, I didn't necessarily really like the trouble as much though. We'll have some more information about the trouble. That's actually pretty interesting. I think you'll, you'll find interesting too. Um, Yeah. So I, I would give it an eight as well. I guess more because the caper to me doesn't tie in very well to the plot. By the time Nathan delivers the information, it's kind of like, all right, well, they're here. So this didn't really help us at all. Yeah, but it, it gave us an excuse to get some of the history of the uh, beef between Nathan and Duke, really more Nathan with Duke. And it was just a he- heck of a lot of fun. It was fun. Um, it was fun. It was just it was just a little too loose compared to, compared to, to, I think, kind of the importance of what's happening. But also, I'd also think a problem with it is like it's a little messy. We have like four conversations with the you know the the mom widow whatever tracy Tracy. there's like so many events of like her and audrey kind of (laughs) meeting to like talk and it it feels like it could have been condensed into maybe one or two bigger conversations rather than like four spread out yeah i I would agree i would i think i would like to see that uh condensed because uh i mean jumps back and forth back and forth back and forth and uh well otherwise i like the trouble a lot i thought it was really cool losing uh that, you know, he's because we didn't really talk about it in the summary, but he's all about uh, multitasking and doing so many things. Right. He's this like father, husband, little league coach has like a job doing this, doing that. that he's barely sleeps on uh, finding out that he can maybe move faster than you would expect and do more things than a normal person would. And it consuming him and taking, you know, being out of control with it, I think was a cool well, a, yeah. a kind of logical conclusion, I think, of super speed taken too far right is moving too fast to be part of like the our physical world right and by doing all that uh, severe multitasking i believe that's what triggers him and you know triggers his trouble and it makes everyone think he's dead because i mean it turns out that you know he was shouting for them not to get not not to take the boat out when it didn't you know when, when it on its last journey when it sank but he had twisted into his his troubled uh, existence on on a whatever the same on a different plane in, in the same place, so they never heard his warning, you know, because so it wasn't his fault they they drowned. He he couldn't help that. This is one of my favorite episodes so far, actually. Uh, maybe an eight makes it seem low. Maybe maybe it's a nine for me. It's somewhere in there. Uh, I really like the ending. It was the emotional ending? I, I enjoyed quite a bit with the dad leaving. I've, it it worked for me. And I would say this is probably one of the best jobs they do of tricking you about the trouble. And, you know, they're always kind of trying to fool you. Who's got it? What is it? You know, they're always trying to kind of pull one over on us. And I think this was the best job maybe of the season so far. Me being like, who's, you know, what, you know, who's telekinetic here? And then it being like, oh, it's not even telekinesis. Yeah, no, I, I agree. They did do They did do a good job of that. I'm not bumping it up to a nine, but uh I mean, who else, what other episode would you think has like a good uh, was did as good of a job at tricking you into what the trouble was? Maybe fur fur was one that I couldn't really figure out for a while. 
because obviously the shapeshifter, uh, you figure out that trouble pretty early, but then it's just a mystery of who it is. But you know what the what the deal is. This one kind of you don't know what the deal is for a long time. Yeah, no, no, I I definitely agree with you on that. They they did, you know, because you know first you know we did the usual red herring bait and switch with oh it's Brooke oh it's Michael well, you know first maybe it's Tracy who knows. And it turns out it's nothing because, yeah, they were playing the telekinesis versus poltergeist. And I'm, we're pretty sure it wasn't going to be a poltergeist because, <laughs> you know, the, the Haven is based on the troubles and poltergeist really wouldn't necessarily be a trouble. I mean, that that's a spiritual and uh, spiritual entity. Your so. trouble could be that you're like, I don't know, spirit stays. <clears throat> I guess your trouble could be that you attract poltergeist. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> there's ways to do, I think, a poltergeist. Uh... No, and they, they did a good job and uh, of keeping that hidden. Uh, I'll agree with you there. Yeah, I I just think the heist. <clears throat> I'm sorry, not the heist. The like little the caper. little con caper thing was just a little too disconnected for me. It really doesn't serve any purpose except to give Nathan something to do while Audrey's doing all the heavy lifting. It was really fun. And obviously we we both listened to the commentary done by Charles Ardai who created uh Hard 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 Case Crime, the publication the publisher of the of uh, the Colorado Kid and Joyland, the Stephen King books. And what's the next one later, right? Correct? Uh th- that's what it says. And uh oh by the way <clears throat> Did you know that we had <laughs> Patreon episodes both on the Colorado Kid and Joyland, and they're fantastic? Well, so. wait a minute. The Colorado Kid one, we just review the book, but the Joyland one, we actually well, both we, pitch a show, right, based off of how we would do a show, just the way the way they did with Colorado Kid to Haven. Exactly. And uh, <laughs> I think both ideas that we came up with were phenomenal. And uh, I won't say which one is better or not. You have to listen we to both the episode know. and decide. Every, everyone, I think everyone can figure out, you know, who's better. Yeah, yeah, yeah you know, <laughs> the acorn doesn't fall far from the tree, but there is some distance. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Well, if the tree is bad, if the tree is bad ideas, then uh, I hope it fell a little. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, well, but Charles Arday does the, Arday does the commentary and he kind of talks about how that story was a little different too. Like there was supposed to be like a motel involved and there's going to be, you know, the room was getting wrecked and, uh, you know, Duke and Nathan were going to kind of think it had something to do with Stony when it was really the kind of poltergeisty effect happening. Uh, but they were going to think thugs ruined the room. So there was this whole kind of CD motel thing that's very hard case crime that was originally involved that kind of got cut out, uh, which two double-edged, you know, what sword or whatever. I would have liked mm-hmm. to have seen right. it, but I don't know. It doesn't necessarily fit Haven. Like, I can I can see cutting it out, but it would have been fun to see like a CD motel with that kind of you know the neon uh, everything drenched in neon lights from the motel yeah, o- vacancy open twenty four hour signs and stuff. Well, yeah, like a like a noir episode. Yeah, and that would be that would be okay if because uh, some shows do that, right? You were like you, you know, you really have this general you know story arc and everything but every now and then you throw in kind of like a special episode like you know you see yeah. like sometimes like a musical type episode things like that maybe a noir uh, noir episode would be great but haven doesn't really do that at least in season one so it wouldn't seem consistent like you said so. and it's, and you know it's cheaper to shoot all the scenes that they did at the great goal rather than uh rather than because the family would also be staying at the motel that was kind of how the poltergeist effect would affect the motels. The family, you know, after they moved out of the house because they're planning on leaving. Um, 
was like, I think part of the original idea or the original script that didn't get through. Um, but that would require a whole new set, you know, that they got to dress and do all these things rather than just staying in the house and staying at the gray goal, which is a lot cheaper and uh, quicker, I'd imagine. Yeah. And as we've learned in, you know, past episodes, you know, it's at the point where they have to do bottle episodes. Right. So adding. Well, I, yeah. Every show does stuff like that, though. Yeah. You know? Yeah. No, it's, I'm, I'm not saying it's any anything negative. It's just, you know, it comes comes with it's part of the business and the operations. So what do you think of Charles Ardai's uh, commentary? I liked it because uh, I enjoy a lot of the commentaries, you know, when they have the the, the big group of them, mm-hmm. but they end up, you know, talking and it, they're fun, but we don't learn as much because they end up talking and joking and, you know, following one thread. And by yeah. that time, two or three other things have happened that it would might it'd be nice to have information. But uh, Charles Ardai was, you know, very concise and gave you great information. Like one of the cool, like, like, so one of the things about it, I didn't really particularly like the trouble myself. I know you did. But I, mm-hmm. I, I didn't, I didn't particularly like it. I didn't think the effects were, were that great, but then Charles Adai explains where, you know, where his inspiration for this was because growing up, his favorite character was the flash and the flash was uh, what Jay Garrick. What a lot of people may not realize is there's, you know, the the most popular version of The Flash is Barry Allen. He's the kind of guy in the TV show and in the Justice League movie and stuff. But before him, uh, in the th- 40s, when The Flash was, I think it was 1940, uh, when The Flash was originally created, he was a guy named Jay Garrick. He was like a college student who, you know, fell asleep in a lab or something and inhaled hard vapors or some shit. <laughs> Vaping too hard in his lab. Uh <laughs> And so he gained super speed, became the Flash, but his outfit's pretty different looking. It's like blue pants, red shirt with like a giant yellow lightning bolts across it. And then he's got this kind of Hermes-esque discus hat thing with like a wing wingtips on it. Uh, so a lot of people probably aren't familiar with that because um, all those kind of different versions, like they had different versions of Flash, Green Lantern, Hawkman, Adam. A lot of those original versions of the superheroes, they, when it came time for the 50s, you know, uh, Wisconsin's own uh, McCarthy, uh, Senator, <laughs> Senator McCarthy, McCarthy uh, kind of led the brigade with a lot of others on, uh, you know, what was un-American and comic books were deviant, turning children homosexual or into murderers and uh, BDSM uh, maniacs is what they thought. So uh, they kind of superheroes went away for a bit. And then the 50s, DC kind of came with the idea like, hey, what if we kind of say our superheroes are actually just like Flash Gordon and Buck Rogers rather than superheroes? So then Flash became Barry Allen and his books became more science based rather than I know the original one I said it was like a lab accident, but it was kind of, you know, he was dealing with monsters and shit. This one then Flash always had like science involved, like, uh, you know, he has now Gorilla Grodd so he can explain, you know, talk about primates and like Africa and stuff. He has Captain Cold so he can talk about temperature, Mirror Master so he can explain how mirrors and reflections and light work, Weather Wizard so he can explain weather. So that's kind of how <laughs> they survived uh, the kind of attack on superheroes and just lack of popularity post-World War II. Um, hey, well, well, think about the ramifications because, you know, part of the Red Scare uh, was they blacklisted writers in Hollywood yeah. and, you know, and, you know, we're charging everyone as communists. So if you didn't clean up your comic book, you could have ended up on a blacklist and well, out, out of work. And a lot of things I think maybe people don't uh, know is that like a lot of superhero comics back in the day was something like. 80% Jewish, like 80% of like creators were Jewish. It was a lot of poor Jewish New York guys that uh, 
couldn't find jobs and were getting discriminated against that got in the comic books. So like a lot of your favorites, like Stanley, Jack Kirby, I don't think Steve Ditko is uh Jewish, uh, Joe Schuster, all those guys, uh, Joe Simon. So anyway, <laughs> so anyway, yeah. So the Jewish creators were also, you know, getting kind of targeted a lot in that McCarthyism era. Not that this really has too much to do with what we're talking about, but it was an interesting, it was interesting to see that Charles R. Dye knew his shit with, uh, old golden age silver age superhero stuff uh, especially if you're a big fan of comics especially if you're a big fan of comics like uh alex's and yeah uh, uh so not was, so much but every now and then yeah i was very impressed with his uh knowledge because uh, jay garrick has shown up in the flash tv show but uh i don't think a lot of people would know what he you know especially at the time of the recording this would have been like 2010 <clears throat> when they would have recorded this commentary and for sure the flash tv show wasn't out so jay garrick wasn't really getting talked about back then so there, that I was that was really cool. Um, I really like the commentary overall because yeah, like you were saying, it's very he's very focused and controlled. He's giving more, like we've talked about. I think in the last episode, the trial of Audrey Parker was the difficulty of the commentary of being all over the place, some uh, borderline to on the line inappropriate comments, some some serious bum looking yes, and exactly. uh, bum bum evaluating yes. Exactly. Uh, or, you know, how good a girl in a tank top looks with a gun. Um, so I, I like that. The only ones you invite to your poker games, right? <laughs> yeah. So I, I like that he was focused and actually talking because I like the fun, but I like the analysis as well. And like learning, like you don't, you know, every day some asshole like us can make a, a podcast and talk about the show, but it's, you know, you don't get those opportunities to listen to the creators and like the writers and the actors uh, talk about the show in that kind of controlled environment like in an interview it's kind of hard because there's all this press stuff where it's like oh let's talk about this also emily what's your favorite like color and you know all that stuff rather than uh her what i really liked in her commentary her parts was you know how focused she stayed on the episode itself and yeah. charles ardai does the same thing he stays very focused i mean because uh, i mean he comes out and he's like uh yep uh audrey's lucy that's that's a fact and then he's uh he doesn't say it like that he just he says doesn't say other it, theories he are doesn't wrong. S- yeah okay all right but yeah he he basically yeah defi- definitively says audrey is lucy and uh he also uh said he was the one who uh pitched the idea to the producers of the dead zone uh about making uh colorado kid uh, a television series right which we talked about last episode in regards to who came up in that i think it's kind of a a mishmash of you know him sending out a query letter in it getting accepted by a guy you know by uh that producer because yeah because adam frotto had said that he had taken the hard crime book uh and pitched it to ernst and don so but you know all that different interplay like i said i, I you cleared it up pretty good in that last episode all right so i like charles Ardai's style uh, he only p- pops up one more time as a writer for what season three uh episode called burned so we'll see him again there so unfortunately like i feel like the two writers i like the most are Adai and uh jose molina and they're not molina. really really showing up in the future Adai has one more episode but i do like uh well this director mike roll also did a lot a lot of eureka episodes as well as dead zone so it's a guy they trust from dead zone but a guy that you know we you know he does our favorite show unless he does all like my least favorite episodes but <laughs> yeah I've, I've, i didn't look at that yeah I don't know. There, there weren't many episodes of Eureka I didn't like that I recall off the top of my head. But yeah, know. I'm sure we could find some. But uh, well, if we if we if we rewatch that one, I'm sure sure we would. Something Ardai points out in the commentary about the counterfeit money. Um, 
Oh, yeah. Yeah, I totally forgot about that. Yeah, thanks for reminding me. Ardai brings up a very good point because, you know, Nathan, as uh, as he's feeling, you know, earlier in the episode when Duke shows him the money and uh, says it's counterfeit, Nathan, like, uses his thumb to, like, kind of flick through the money. And he's like, yeah, that's good quality. And Ardai points out, how the fuck can he feel it? His trouble. He's troubled. He can't feel. How does he know it feels like good quality? Uh, yeah. I, I, I missed it. I, I missed it. I didn't uh, notice that, but as much as I was like, when Nathan, you know, grabs the money, feels and is like, oh yeah, this is great counterfeit money. I was like, you instantly found out it was counterfeit. How good can it be if the second you looked at it, touched it, you were like, oh yeah, fake. Yeah, I, I, I didn't see it at, at all. But you know, while we're talking about the talking about the caper, what did what do you think about the execution of the stony trap, especially in regards to the henchmen? I mean, what, that they didn't do anything? That they got, like, caught flat-footed? Or what? Yeah, I mean, each of them's on, on one side of Nathan, and then Duke just comes out with a gun, and both of them are armed, but they, they just sit there and, oh, no, you got us. Yeah. All right, all right. Well, one, he's got the gun sideways. You know you're in trouble. You know you just can't get out of that. You're fucked if he's got the gun, you know, angled sideways, gangster oh, style. Oh, so, so gang style, uh, execu- gang exactly. execution style. Okay, they fucking knew, they, they fucking knew that uh, they were done once they saw the gun. No, but really he came, you know, he came from behind. And at first when you're hearing like Haven PD special agent, you know, you're with, uh, you know, a guy running up screaming that. And you kind of look over and see a guy with a gun pointed at your back. Like, what are they going to do? The time it's going to take for them to draw, turn around, he could, he'd have them both on the floor before they could do anything. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I find it a stretch. I, I think mean, that's he, like a, that's like a strategic, like you can't get out of that. Like you, you got your, he's got like, how are you going to draw and fire on him? Unless you're like, Hey buddy, it's uh, one of us 50, 50 a, odds. 50, yeah. 50 one of odds. us is going to die really hard. And the other one's probably going to get shot, but probably, but maybe live. Fuck that. The, you, know, you just take jail time rather than death. I'm not going to I'm not going to take a chance on spinning around and that I'm the one Duke chose to shot, you know, to shoot, you know, like I'm not taking that chance that I'm going to be the one to fucking die. And the other guy takes out Duke and gets away. Fuck that. Like, it's not like worth it to me for them to escape if I die. Like, I'm not fighting for any cause. I'm just fighting for money. Unless yeah, like I, st- unless he was like deadly loyal to like Stone, you know, unless he's like one of Bane's henchmen in the Dark Knight Rises willing to like be in the plane when he crashes it at the beginning. Well, Stoney is quite an attractive lady, but then again, who knows? Yeah, not but, to die for. No, no, no. I just yeah, I just thought it was kind of cheesy that those guys, you know, wouldn't have he wouldn't have sprung the jump on them that that easily and that they would have they would have reacted and then uh I mean what would have been what would have been better? What if he dropped a net on them from above? I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay. All right. I see where you're going with this. You're taking it back to like 60s Batman shit. The Scooby-Doo. Okay. <laughs> Would have got away with it. Was it for those damn kids? Yeah. Giant magnet under the pier. Um, yeah. I'm yes. just kidding. No. Uh, <laughs> but, the, but then then Nathan uh, takes, uh, you know, cuffs Stoney and takes her, uh, takes her away and then uh, leaves Duke with, with, with the henchmen. I mean, well, well, what's he supposed to do? Load all three of them into the vehicle. Well, one, he has only one pair of handcuffs. You see these detectives. He's he's in jeans. He's got one pair. I, I guess he wasn't a Boy Scout because he wasn't prepared. Duke's, you know, Duke's the one with like the rope tying skills. So Duke would be the one to tie the rope around their hands and do like a experts, some expert knot that they can't get out of. But then apparently uh, Nathan does, you know, loads her into the into the Bronco, but... 
he's back at the goal. So what what happened? They took it to the police station, came back. Boy, it sure didn't. You don't like need a you don't need a show that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was yeah, it was because uh, they go through the whole like attack on the on the 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 Fortuna's you know attack, and then afterwards the ambulance gets there, loads them up, and then Nathan comes and talks to Audrey about it, and then he goes back to the goal. Right, so it's like clearly much later in the day uh, when Audrey comes up, to, like when she comes up to talk to Nathan and Duke, and they're having a drink, and she leaves. Right. Yeah. She sees him having fun playing poker with the counterfeit money that yeah. uh, Duke knows Nathan's going to have to t- take to <laughs> HPD, yeah. but they're going to have their fun with it till then. So, yeah, I, I see. I see. I see what you're saying with it. Like, I, we don't need to see like Nathan take her to the police station. You know, he did take a piss, maybe eat a snack, uh, you know, chat with someone about the game. We don't need any of that stuff. Just, you know, Yeah, I'm not saying we, we, we need that. <laughs> I, I think Get someone's being... shined. <laughs> Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> Great. Uh, we we do want to watch him shave to see how he does it. Yeah, he needs work on his sideburns. Uh we should probably see how that goes. But yeah, he is a pet shops boy fan, just like you. Yeah, I love the pet shop boys. They're excellent. And I, so I was so- I was wrong in my uh Patreon episode where I guessed our second Patreon episode where we talked about the uh licensed music used in Haven. I had a guess as to what Nathan listens to. I uh, won't say what my guess was, but I was incorrect, like usual. Yeah, but, you know, Nathan can like other types of music. I mean, you know, look at all of my tastes. At the time the Pet Shop Boys came out, I was listening to, like, Queensryche and Dokken and, like, hair metal and I, I, listening. To- I pretty clearly said he doesn't listen to stuff like this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was pretty definitive in being like, ah, uh, yeah, no, he listens to X only. Uh, so I was definitely wrong. Hey, become a Patreon member and you can find out what he said and it will be illuminating. <laughs> yeah. What about the scar, Audrey and the scar? Like, do we, what do you think about that? Like, did she not realize, did she not realize she had that scar the second he told her about it? I, I think she did. I, I think, uh, cause she kind of had a look, kind of like a look on her face when, when he, when he says it. And uh, eh. so I, I, I think she realized that, 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 I think that's when she knew. And that's why she went back to the site, the Colorado Kids site, to look at it and bring everything back into uh, you know full circle with her. I feel like the moment at the end where she's like, "Oh shit," has an "oh shit" face at the end, kind of implies like maybe she like knew about it but like forgot about it or something. I don't know. Ma- ma- maybe you- she didn't want to accept it. She because because yeah, I mean, but she would know she has a scar on the bottom of her foot. Yeah, but you know, sometimes you got to ease yourself into these uh, a concept like uh, who the fuck am I? Who am I really? Who I am? I mean, granted, man has posed this question for centuries. I, I think a smoother way of doing it would be just to introduce the scar sooner. So for the audience, when he's telling that story, you know, because you're like, oh, okay, why? Well, that's nice, you know, about when he's like, oh, you know, and she cut her foot super deep, and you're like, okay. And then when she looks at the scar, you're like, oh, shit. But it's mistimed to when she would know it versus if we'd seen it, like, let's say in one of the many times Dave is trying to dress her oh, up. You know, damn it, I to- was going to say that. <laughs> damn it. You took it from me. I was going to say uh, uh, Dave's buying her shoes and he's looking at the bottom of her foot. <laughs> Audrey looks like you got a scar there. Uh, but or like she gets her, you know, whatever. She steps in like, uh, you know, when they were investigating the boat at the beginning, she steps in something and pulls her like shoe and sock off. And Nathan's like, oh, that's a nasty scar. And she's like, oh, whatever. And then at the end, when he's telling the story of like, yeah, she cut her foot. You're like, oh, fuck. We just saw the scar earlier. Like. I think that would have been maybe a better approach to it than 
he tells a story, then we see it because wouldn't she, she would know. Right. I, I think it. Yeah, uh, I think it'd be better storytelling that if we were previously exposed to the the scarred foot. I mean, and there's plenty of ways you could have done it. Like you said, foot in the mud, uh, Dave, Dave buying her shoes. Hey, let's avoid the Dave buying her shoes. <laughs> uh, I mean, it could have been in the, the shapeshifter episode, right? When they find her down there, you know, could have had her feet visible. Speaking of shoes, in an earlier scene, we see the daughter uh, on the couch with her fucking shoes on pulling a Rick James, just like, come on. Like this daughter's so disrespectful with her shoes on, on the couch. Yeah, I wouldn't be, you know, uh, <laughs> Charlie Murphy would not approve. Let no. me tell you, the late Charlie Murphy, God rest his soul. I didn't like the child acting. I thought I, I you know, her little her little freak out about uh, the trouble being freaks. I mean, how many how many troubled people does she know? I mean, is it like yeah, a, well, like quite a few people crop up in this town that have troubles. Uh, <laughs> yeah, what, what do they what have? A like a what a week? <laughs> do they have a troubled academy uh, at at the high school? Like you know, are they broken out? Professor Xavier takes some of them <laughs> on. I you know, the chiefs chiefs academy for troubled youth. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so that's uh, that's who we want running it. As I didn't a think headmaster. I didn't think uh, the daughter was too bad. I thought the son w- the son was horrible. I thought the son was really bad. Uh, what was the kid's name? Was he just like junior? Michael. 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 Michael is pretty bad. No. Uh, what what do you think about the, the you know the event that led to Nathan's schism with Duke? Do you think that's a s- severe enough reason for Nathan to hate Duke as much as he appears to at the beginning of the season? Um, if it's the like main thing that he's mad about then that's pretty ridiculous but i don't think it's the main thing i think it's one of the tipping points uh i think duke there must be like a either one much bigger event or it was like many events of this size and this is just one of them and charles ardai actually says there's more to it in the commentary so he kind of answered the question for me but i still wanted to pose it because they have seven seasons of lore set up Oh yeah, they mythology. must know. They know yeah. exactly how everything's gonna end, so they gotta know. Uh, they, they they know the last scene of the last episode. Uh, what do you think about uh, Sal and Nancy uh, Fortuna? Uh, there were some <laughs> hardcore fucking killers, and boy, you know, and his like members only jacket. He didn't really have to look. <laughs> I mean, I mean, their whole operation is gonna go down. What else are they supposed to do? Yeah, fires worked before. Jesus, how many fucking people have you burnt in fires and evidence destroyed? I mean, that gives you your answer. They're hardcore criminals. They're fucking slaughterers. I'll give them credit because they don't have the look. So that's uh, that's how you get away with it. You know, how how you get away with it. Right. So how long can you really get away with it when you look like Buffalo Bill? You know, like, yeah, obviously someone's eventually (laughs) going to be like, yeah, you have a skin suit in the basement. You have the look. Right. But they don't have the look of murders. That's a perfect disguise. All right. I think that's it for the main episode for everything we want to talk about in the episode. Uh, Like I said, I really liked it a lot. Uh, We got one more. We got our finale spiral coming up next week. But before that, we like to do an extra segment every episode, as I'm sure you're well aware. Sometimes they go a little long. This one, we're going to do our own kind of caper heist buddy cop thing. So like how Duke and Nathan, you know, teamed up to kind of do some illicit stuff this episode. Someone pretending to be a special agent. We got counterfeit money. Nathan going undercover. Uh, Named it Sheldon. Yes. (laughs) uh, Poker game. Menacing Sheldon. So we decided to come up with our own. I'll go first, I think, because yours is uh, the more detailed one. Mine's a lot looser. So we'll go with mine first. You know, those at home, send us your pitches. Send us your 
capers how would you like to see duke and nathan how would you like what would you like to see them doing that'd be kind of funny maybe it's a heist maybe it's a caper con buddy cop anything like that that can lead to hilarious and dramatic hijinks we we want to hear from you and tell us uh, which one of ours maybe you like the most you know it's going to be mine yeah you know who's going to win that's not that's not you uh proceed proceed penguin many adam sandler references uh this episode well i guess two Let's see if we can fit in, squeeze in a third somewhere. So mine, I kind of went for like a buddy cop thing. Duke is just, you know, all around town. People are kind of dying, right? Nathan's investigating. I don't know where Audrey is. She's at a day, uh, a weekend retreat at a spa or something. She's taking the weekend off. Well, it's going to be longer than a weekend. She's taking the month off, the week off. Let's, let's, let's stick with a week. She's taking the week off and Nathan's kind of investigating these deaths. And it's people who are being poisoned. He eventually figures out. It's the cologne they're using. Their Valentino V cologne is poisoning <laughs> them. <laughs> is poisoning them. And uh, you know, he's like, Well, you know, where how can I track this? Figures out that it came from an illegal shipment from Duke. You know, one of his boxes that he doesn't look in. And so he comes to Duke and he's like, Man, you, you know, you had some poisoned cologne. What did you do? And Duke's like, Hey, hey, this isn't me, but I want to know too, because somebody's, you know, fucking up my my life, my work too, by doing this. So let's team up. They track it. They track down this cologne that's been created in an art school, an art academy, maybe, maybe like the Chiefs uh, Academy for Troubled Youth. Uh, yeah. So they go to this uh, school and they uh, the only way through is they got to enroll as students. So they join the art school. So they enroll at this like art school. And, you know, typically how these things would go, you know, Duke is this kind of stylish, cool guy. He's charming. All the girls want to get with him normally. But here at an art school, everything's, you know, ass backwards, as as, as you would expect, where Nathan is uh, the cool guy where they're like, oh man, we love your nondescript clothes. Just like gray shirt, regular jeans. Like this is cool. This is what cool kids wear. And so Nathan's getting along with all the cool art kids, especially when uh, his uh, decoffage uh, <laughs> comes in into play, you know, and he shows them all his artistic talents. You know, he's playing Pet Shop Boys and they're like, oh man, this is cool. This is so retro. Duke's too busy listening to world music and Fredalba to, you know, <laughs> with, with his he's pants to, rolled up and like the collar pulled up, you know, he's trying to pitch his Fredalba, you know, cassettes and nobody and everyone's like, man, this fucking guy. Uh, he, he pulls up in a, in a Trans Am blasting Billy Squires to stroke wearing an Ariel Speedwagon t-shirt. <laughs> There's like, your next Sadler reference. Yeah. So that's Duke, you know, everyone's kind of like, oh, this guy's a dork, you know? And so Duke, it's kind of the fun of it, right? Is Nathan has to deal with uh, finally being the most popular kid in school as the popular kids accept him. And uh, Duke has to learn of being the loser. And he joins the sailing team, which is kind of the losers club of the school. Uh, <laughs> and so they're trying to win some sailing competition or something. As we saw in uh, Consumed, right? There's like sailing or sailing clubs and stuff. Yeah, the, uh, Haven High School has a sailing club. Exactly. And they're competing against them and everything, right? Uh very revenge of the nerds but with sailboats sail jocks versus art nerds sailing yeah art nerd sailors uh (laughs) (laughs) that's what they went to art school for is like uh, artistic sailing but by the end you know we'll kind of figure out the popular kids are the ones you know whatever the leader kids got to trouble that or maybe it's the headmaster i haven't figured it out exactly but one of them uh, their sweat is corrosive, and uh, the only way they feel better is when other people their sweat ends up on other people's skin. So that's why he's been sneaking it into Cologne and shipping it around town to manage his pain. But of course, they got to take him down, and they end up in some crazy sailboat chase at the end, you know, in a storm. And uh, it's going to come down to Nathan turning away from his popularity and Duke's uh, reliance on the nerds, you know, finally, you know, 
him and the nerds saved Nathan in the end. As Nathan, you know, defeats the leader. I like it. I think it's a, I think it'd be a fun episode. I'd like, I'd like to see it. Uh, <laughs> I, I love the juxtaposition of, uh, you know, nondescript uh, Nathan being popular with the, with the art nerds because, uh, you know, he's more minimalist fa- fashion exactly. style and straightforwardness. And, you know, Duke you know, Duke, is a little pretentious. Duke comes in with a like, black and white striped shirt, you know, uh, He's beret. Got, yeah, got a beret on. He's got his high waters. You know, he's like, hey, do you guys know I was in a band? And they're like, oh, my God. Like, everyone's in a band, bro. Yeah, she happens to be named after a French whore. <laughs> well, at that point, it's born as ghosts, all right? <laughs> Not like, right, oh, this but, is you so know. overplayed. And then they see Nathan, you know, and they kind of get a peek at him painting in his room, you know, his dorm room by himself. Oh, applying the clear varnish over it. And he's, you know exactly exactly listening to pet shop boys and they're like wow this guy's cool (laughs) retro 80s cool and then you know he's telling them like yeah you know i you know you know one time i went and uh like watched a media shower naked they're like wow this guy's just like a badass like actually he went to college already they're like this guy gets it because he's 30 (laughs) (laughs) and they're all like 19 to 22 so let's hear yours let's uh what let's uh you went more. You didn't go like buddy. Well, you're just buddy cop elements, but not as buddy cop. Like I think it's mine. Yeah, mine's heavy on heavy on background, and yeah. uh, you know, uh, not claiming to be anywhere you know in the realm of Stephen King, but I wanted to get really good uh, background on it. So you're not in the realm above the realm of Stephen King, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm. Uh, yeah, I, I can't even write uh, packaging ingredients, so that's not going to happen. Okay, so my. Uh, my pitch is uh, well, kind of, you know, my caper is uh, named it uh, Casse de Syrup, and I don't speak French well, so that's basically, but you can get the theme there with that. So the premise is that Stoney was just a lieutenant in a bigger crime organization, and the hit on Duke has not been eliminated. The bounty has actually increased tenfold due to Duke taking out the boss's lieutenant. Now, the boss is Teddy, the tickle stick or just stick Bachman, who oversees all the crime families in Maine, and he has eyes on expansion into New Hampshire, Vermont, and New Brunswick. Is this a Richard Bachman uh, reference, or is this something from history? Uh, so, obviously, I took uh, the last name Bachman from the Richard Bachman books. Uh, I took the first name Teddy for the character Teddy that uh, <laughs> Stephen King played in The Stand. And the Tickle Stick is from uh, the episode with the, the siren, the uh, yeah. the succubi. Nathan, Nathan knew what a Tickle Stick was. Tickle Stick was, right. And, and if you listen to the previous episode, we talked a lot about what the Tickle Stick was. And that, not for this episode, per se, but throughout yeah. the episodes. Okay, so Duke is once again able to set up a private meeting with the boss, but this time Nathan is on the hook with the boss as well. So he has to attend the meeting because he was part of the sting. The stick is livid with Duke because Stoney was a big earner. As a matter of principle, he says Duke has to die because of the optics. Well, Duke says he took this meeting, so there must be some agreement we can come to that is beneficial to all of us. The stick has had brief encounters with Chief Warnos in the past as he was ascending in the crime family, but he would like to avoid villain, uh, killing a cop if at all possible. It's usually a last resort in the Augusta crime family. The stick tells Nathan his dad has been a pain in his ass for a long time, but he's a good cop and knows when to leave things alone and move on. He tells Duke that it is his lucky day because if he is going to give him one chance to make, he's going to give him one chance 
chance to make up his lost earnings and preserve his life. The stick wants in on the criminal activities in Vermont, New Hampshire, and New Brunswick, and he's willing to take on the organizations already in place. But he needs an injection of cash to fund it. So the stick tells him he knows a French-Canadian freelance criminal, Jean-Luc Poisson Dumont, who has, uh, my, my French is awful, I know, who has set up a massive scam, swindling maple syrup right out from under the noses of the Federation of Quebec Maple, maple Syrup Producers, or FPAC as they're called. What from flavor? This, what flavor is he taking? Just original? Do you need other flavors? Maybe butter, but besides <laughs> that. But so, and they're taking it from FPAC's strategic reserves in uh, St. Louis de Blanford, uh, Quebec. So basically what they do, and uh, they siphon the syrup right out of the barrels and fill them back up with water to replace it. Then they truck the syrup to Vermont, New Brunswick to be broken up into smaller batches and resold. He tells them that so far, he tells them they have, so far they have taken the contents of over 5,000 barrels, which is worth almost a cool 10 million, you know, not quite 10. So 9.8. Something like that, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, it might be off by after uh, tax. That's no, kidding. It might be <laughs> off by a Lila fracometer. I don't know. Yeah. The stick t- uh, tells them that he that this is where they will come in. Pozo's crew is getting sloppy. They've stopped refilling the barrels, and that will surely lead to the scam being discovered before the maximum product and revenue can be siphoned out of it. See what I did there? Uh, siphoned out like they siphoned a the syrup. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, my God. Cheap theatrics mean nothing to you. Tough crowd. Yeah. Not all of us went to film school. All right. And our writers, Uh, they're going to steal the syrup from the processing centers in Vermont, New Brunswick. He figures they can probably steal the contents to almost another 5000 barrels, which should earn him about nine million in sticky, but still cold, hard cash. All right. That one better. (laughs) No, no, no. All right. All right. They will be responsible for the heist, but he will provide three trucks driven by some Quebecers he has in his employ, and all the syrup will be processed in a warehouse he owns through a shell company in the Bahamas in Augusta, Maine. The stick warns them that they won't have to just worry about Poisson's crew. The FPAC is actually like a cartel, and they have their enforcers out searching for the sudden influx of small batch syrup in the secondary markets. Uh, Apparently, they have people who monitor the secondary syrup markets. They know something's going on, but they don't realize where it's coming from. They don't They don't realize it's coming from right under their noses yet. So the time to strike is now. So the stick gives Nathan and Duke one week to steal as much as they can, and it better be at least 4,500 barrels, even if it means they have to hit Poisson's trucks on the open road. He gives them one last incentive to ensure they complete the heist. He has people in Haven. From the dark underbelly of Haven, of course, which we yeah, discussed in previous episodes. Exactly. Lobster trappers, uh, people gambling on the Jets. Yeah, yeah, you gamble on the Jets, you deserve whatever you're... Uh, they, they won again. That's two weeks in a row. Why, it's unbelievable. <laughs> so he tells them that he knows his people in Haven have told him that they know they're close to Audrey Parker. So if they don't complete the mission, he has Audrey Parker and he will kill her. No. Yeah, that's uh, that's another twist to it. He has kidnapped Audrey and she'll be killed if they don't complete the twist because it's, you know, you're inspired by hard crime fiction. So, <laughs> so Nathan, you know, and that's, you know, that, that's the background on all of them, you know. It, so Nathan and Duke leave the meeting and they're discussing their predicament in the Bronco as they drive back to Haven. It's too late to make it all the way back. So they stop at the only hotel in the area. Unfortunately, there's only one room left, so they'll have to share it. <laughs> 
And I stole this idea directly uh, from Charles Ardice commentary for the episode. I just think it would be very funny, super hilarious for those two to spend a night in the same hotel yeah. room and the, the bickering and arguing, teasing. Are they in the same bed or is it two beds? Come on. They got to share the bed. They got to share the bed. I mean, and if you've, if you've never as an adult had to share a, um, a male adult, share a bed with another male adult. It'd be lots of fun. You know what they would, you know, Nathan would be like, I, I, you know, you know, they would do some coin flip. Nathan would get it. And then Duke would be like, yeah, but I got back problems. So I can't sleep on the couch or the floor. So I got to be in the bed too. And would lie up, you know, and you know, Duke would be in his underwear. You know, Nathan yeah. would have like pajamas, a shirt on and Duke would get in just underwear, maybe nothing. And be like, all right, cool. And like get too close. And Nathan would be like, oh, yeah, Duke, oh Duke would be like, all kinds of hijinks and hilarity w- would ensue within that. Yeah. You know, but they, they know, that they got to come up with a plan because lives and uh, their lives and Audrey's lot life depends upon it. I haven't really gone far enough with what the actual plan is, but I know it basically has to end with them stealing the syrup, rescuing Audrey and somehow arresting all the criminals. Yeah. I mean, you know, I would use like uh, the Haven writing team to kind of f- fill the rest of that out. Hey, figure this out. Yeah. My only wreck was pre or, or continue, continue. I'll say my, so, my only. So I would also make, uh, would make sure that somehow a shitload of syrup is unaccounted for. And the last scene is Duke taking the Cape Rouge out to sea with a big smile on his face and maybe like a syrup barrel in, in sight. <laughs> now, and before uh, I turn this over to, for your commentary, my inspiration for this was, was the very real great Canadian maple syrup heist that happened during 2011 into 2012. Uh, a guy named Richard Vallers, I'm sorry, I'm not good with the, the French, and his crew were able to steal the contents of 9,571 barrels of syrup worth $18.7 million. And uh, so like this stuff really happened. He was sentenced to eight years in prison and a $9.4 million fine. But if he doesn't pay his fine, the prison term goes all the way up to 14 years. So this is based on real life events that I remembered when they happened. I just found fascinating and always wanted to do a story based upon it. My only change I'd make is that, you know, at the end it it should be, uh, he's got the syrup stored under the gray gull at the end, you know, so he brings his pancakes out the net that morning, you know, and has like a a spigot on the giant tank of uh, syrup and puts it on his plate and then eats it watching the sunrise with a smile. Yeah. Yeah. And then maybe, he points, you know, maybe he pours in a cup and is just taking big drinks of uh, pure syrup. You never know. I mean, <laughs> well, we do know that uh, Eric Balfour doesn't like coffee or chocolate, so he doesn't really like sweet stuff. Well, that doesn't count for Duke. He, yeah, I, I think Duke would like would appreciate pancakes, and we know Nathan would be like, "Hey, how come it's pancakes every fucking morning or waffles?" You know, and, and B waffles are blasphemy. It's only pancakes. Damn it. Nah, not going to agree. I'm not going to jump in on that take. But uh, I think Nathan would pretty quickly figure out like, hey, this syrup tastes too uh, pure. They're doing the thing. It's like, you know, cocaine in the drug movies. You know, he dips his finger in the syrup, tastes of it, and is like, wow, this is 100% Canadian. 100% Canadian gold syrup. Yep, exactly. And then he starts like scratching his neck and wanting more more syrup. Yeah. You know, they got to get in a car chase on the highway. You oh, know, yeah, yeah. Like, Explosions. Dump- Dump some like, you know, they, they, you know, spill out some syrup on purpose. So the car starts slipping around behind them, crashing into each other. Yeah. So, I mean, there's all, there's all these opportunities for like hijinks and action plots uh, with. Duke fills water balloons of syrup and throws them at people. 
or your syrup hose. Yeah. Well, I don't think yeah. urine really has anything to do with this. Uh, no, I would watch this. This sounds like a good action movie, but it's like a buddy cop heist con type thing. All once the Italian job of syrup move of syrup stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of. Uh, and I did some research. I, you know, read lists of the best capers versus the best uh, heist films and all of that. And uh, I thought this could be kind of a blend of all of it. And uh, Yeah. Well, I think uh, if you guys want to, if everyone wants to send us in what you would want to see with a Duke and Nathan kind of caper buddy cop heist type situation type story or tell us, you know, which one did you. My dad is obviously a lot more detailed than mine. Uh, mine's I don't know how comedic yours actually would have been versus how mine was like pure comedy. Well, if, uh, you know, if the stick, you know, the crime boss, the stick is played by walking and oh my God. Uh, God. <laughs> <laughs> how fun could that be? I mean, it would be, I'm just throwing it out there. I'm not casting it, but uh, that would be, that would make it really, I think you could make it a lot of comedy out of this and you get some, like I said, explosions and syrup, syrup gags left and right. I think that is it for episode 12. We will return to the town beneath the town in one week. The quickest way to reach us is by email. You can contact us at troubledrewatchpod at gmail.com. Uh, you can find us Anywhere you listen to podcasts like Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon Music, Podbean, Stitcher. Uh, I think we just got added to Pandora recently. So we'll also have the podcast on YouTube. Uh, they're slowly being added to Vimeo, but it takes a while. And it really helps us when you hit like or subscribe. And if it's available on the platform, if you could leave a review, that'd be great. Uh, if you want the podcast straight from the source, you can visit us at troubledpodcast.com. We'll have all our episodes, news, and everything like that in one place for you. If you want to follow us on Twitter for updates, you can follow us at Haven's Trouble. That's a capital H and a capital T. Try to be more active on that. We love making this show for you, <laughs> but there are costs. We'd love to upgrade some of our gear and services. Uh, so we're asking for your help. We have a Patreon page linked in the show notes with uh, a couple tiers. We got our $1 tier is, Haven, is a Haven tourist that gets you just some like behind the scenes show documents that we write up. Uh, you get a Wu-Tang nickname. Uh, Autumn is getting their Wu-Tang nickname as a uh, Dominator Solstice. Yes, sir. So Dominator Solstice is uh, Autumn's nickname. So this is our shout out to Autumn because that's something else you get in your $1 uh, Haven tourist Patreon level is you get a fan shout out. The $3, you get access to uh, Troubled with Extra Syrup. Those are our side episodes. We've got a couple out. Our fourth one is about to drop in a couple of days. Uh, we already mentioned kind of what the past three are about. This next one is about the first season of Castle Rock, the Hulu exclusive show. So we go in depth with the whole season of a show, not just an episode. You don't want to miss that one. Trust me. Yeah, you don't want to miss any of them. Any of them. Any of them. Listen to them <laughs> twice. I do. Our $5 tier is the director's cut episodes is what you get from a Haven's Troubled tier. The $3 tier, by the way, was called a Haven Resident. This one's a Haven's Troubled. Uh, so you get upgraded from not just living in Haven, but having a curse. The curses uh, that you listen to this podcast. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> no, but you get access to the director's cut and a chance for a live Q&A type thing with us. We can also record and turn an episode if you want to, if you find if you want to do something like that. But uh, we can do a Zoom call with somebody if they want to. The director's cuts are going to be kind of rolling out uh, starting in 2021. And uh, once again, on those Zoom calls, if you want, we can set them up and maybe somehow we can put tape over our camera so you don't have to see us. Yeah, you, you might prefer it that way. You know, now they're expecting uh, Joseph Merrick, the elephant man. But <laughs> but all kidding aside, we appreciate your listenership. We appreciate your support. We hope 
everyone will come back next week to wrap up the season with us. And uh, lastly, everyone be safe and never let your troubles get you down. <laughs>